Hear ye. The Supreme Court of the State of Wisconsin is now in session. Your silence is clear. From the Wisconsin State Journal, I'm Elizabeth Beyer. This is Front Page, a podcast that takes a look at some of the State Journal's most interesting recent stories. Okay, well, good morning. Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Dan Kelly, who was appointed by Governor Walker to fill the vacancy left by Justice David Prosser, who retired in 2016, will face voters for the first time in 2020. But this usually nonpartisan race has already become politicized among an already busy and contested election year. Politics and state government reporter Riley Vetterkind walked through each candidate, their platform, and what's riding on the race for the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Council, are you ready to proceed? Please do. It is going to be a very busy year, uh, especially because the Supreme Court election in April uh, falls on the same date as the presidential preference primary. So that's the same day that voters uh, in the Democratic and Republican parties will be going to select uh, who they want to see be on the ballot for president. So that is a huge political calculation as well when we think about these races, because the the most popular line of thinking is that the Democratic primary will uh, will drive up the turnout because uh, it is a contested primary uh, as of January uh, 2020, while President Trump has basically not run into any major challengers. So the idea is that the liberal-supported candidates in the Supreme Court race, Jill Karofsky or Ed Fallone, whoever makes it past the primary, will end up doing better than sitting Justice Dan Kelly, but that's just a theory and a lot of things can change. Can you provide a breakdown of the state Supreme Court election process? Will voters need to head to the polls more than once for their preferred candidate? Yeah, so we actually do have one election before April, and that is the primary, which is February 18th. The first statewide voting in 2020 will come in the race for Wisconsin Supreme Court. Justice Daniel Kelly, appointed in 2016, is seeking a full 10-year term. Dane County Circuit Judge Jill Karofsky and Marquette Law School Professor Ed Fallone are also running. And so we'll see sitting Supreme Court Justice Dan Kelly on the ballot, who is a conservative-backed justice. He's served in this role since 2016 when former Republican Governor Scott Walker appointed him to the bench to replace retiring Justice David Prosser. And so he is facing voters for the first time since he was appointed uh, in 2016 to, to fill the remainder of Prosser's term. So he will be competing with Jill Karofsky, who is a current Dane County Circuit Court judge, as well as Ed Fallone, who is a Marquette Law School professor. He served in his role uh, at Marquette, I believe, since the early 90s. Um, And he has run once before for the state Supreme Court in 2013. Uh, I believe he ran against Chief Justice Patience Rogensack, but uh, did so unsuccessfully. And so he's having another go at it. And so the two Top vote getters in that election will proceed to the April election where they will be in front of Wisconsin voters uh, and and that will be the final election that decides who is on the court. What's the current makeup of the court and could the results of the spring election change that? So it's interesting because uh, the court currently is dominated by conservatives five to two and It's an interesting story because this could have been a much more important Supreme Court election if we think about the ideological 
makeup of the court. Because the court's dominated right now by conservatives, even if a liberal-backed candidate won the race this year, conservatives would still control the majority. It would just go down to 4-3. And then liberals will have the chance, if that is the case, to take the court in 2023. But that all hinges on a liberal winning in April. So that much we don't know. It's still important because, uh, as a lot of political observers say, if we're looking from the liberal perspective, just having an extra liberal member on the court will make it that much easier and will allow them to retake the court that much sooner. Because if they if they lose this election, we'd be looking at mid-decade by the time that, that liberals would Uh, be able to take the court. And conservatives often pride themselves on their ability to really support their candidates in these judicial elections, which are technically nonpartisan, but political interests spend a lot of money in these races um, because they have viewed them as crucial to to political victories in, in some cases. Justices don't really talk about politics in these races and and they they are very limited in in what they can say about the role of political parties except that most of them agree that it, it is the right of political parties to weigh in on these races but that has led uh, one of the candidates in the race Jill Karofsky to claim corruption in talking to voters around Wisconsin they are really really concerned that we have judges who are acting like politicians we have judges who are making decisions before anyone ever walks in to the Wisconsin Supreme Court chamber and that is concerning for voters voters feel like that feels like corruption to them Um, she has criticized Dan Kelly several times for ruling in favor of conservative interests who have supported his campaign he denies those claims and said that there is no evidence. Jill Karofsky doesn't really provide any evidence except to say that he consistently rules in the favor of Republicans in these really highly contentious and, and high-profile political cases. So that's an interesting aspect to the race as well because politics is is a, a huge factor in these races, um, like it or not. What's the uh, judicial philosophy of each candidate? So... What I'll say is that I've asked each of these candidates just about their judicial philosophy, which without going through each and every one of their cases, uh, which I have not yet done, I think it's it's a better window into how they view the law. So, I mean, politically, the Republican Party is supporting conservative Justice Dan Kelly, who has previously expressed conservative political views, those he will say are much different from the way he views the law. The way he views the law is with a textualist or originalist viewpoint where he looks at the state and U.S. constitutions as well as the laws that are passed and tries to interpret them as they were understood at the time they were passed. So if a law was passed in 1850, he would go back to 1850 and only look at the text and and try to determine from the text how the law should be interpreted. It is separate from political views. They Conservative political views often go hand in hand with this originalist approach. It's the approach uh, that Antonin Scalia and the U.S. Supreme Court used uh, that, that has been praised by a lot of conservative politicians, but they are not the exact same thing. Uh, Jill Karofsky likes to read the Constitution with today in mind, with 2020 in mind, is what she told me. Um, She also emphasizes fairness. I pressed her a little bit on her judicial philosophy, and she didn't want to go much beyond that. And then 
There is Ed Fallone, who is the the Marquette Law professor who prides himself on his constitutional perspective. He is a constitutional expert. He says that he considers himself somewhat of a textualist or an originalist like Dan Kelly does, but he views the Constitution differently in its original intent. He interprets it with with a higher emphasis on on equal equal protection for all, which a lot would say is is a lot more liberal uh, interpretation of the Constitution. So that's kind of the judicial philosophy of the three candidates. I think that you know might give you a, a good lay of the land for for where these candidates are coming from. What makes this election important? What cases could the newly elected judge decide? So I try to ask my sources this question, and I don't often get a lot of helpful answers just because it's nearly impossible to predict what cases could become, could come before the court. I mean, what what I can say is that going forward, we're going to be that there will be a, a U.S. census, and that begins the process for redrawing Wisconsin's political maps. Wisconsin has really garnered a lot of national headlines. Um, it's been people have claimed it's one of the most heavily gerrymandered states in the United States, um, which has allowed Republicans in our state legislature to amass pretty significant majorities, especially in the state assembly, where they control nearly two thirds of the seats, despite most of our general elections being very, very close. So looking more like 50 50. And so what will happen after the census is produced, we know how many congressional seats we're going to get. That's likely to be the same amount as we currently have. Politicians will then go to draw those political maps that will most likely be the Republican legislature. And then Governor Evers will, will need to sign those maps. But they could also run into a dispute. So it's it, it could get very, very messy you know, if they pass something, it'll come to, uh, you know, probably lawsuits will be filed uh, in federal court, but also potentially in state court. Some other cases that could come before the court are Act 10, which was the law passed by Scott Walker and the Republicans in 2011. It brought thousands of protesters to the state capitol and triggered fiery political fights. But now the state Supreme Court has locked in Act 10, ruling that the law restricting public employee collective bargaining is constitutional. If a liberal court had the majority, then it's possible that a new challenge to Act 10 could arise in the state and they could rule it unconstitutional, which has not happened so far under conservative control of the court, as well as you know future challenges to a slate of other state laws, such as the lame duck laws. There's a, there's a lot of big cases that could come before the court, and it's just really kind of hard to say what they could be. What are some recent notable cases that have come before the Wisconsin Supreme Court, and what impact have they had? There have been a few significant cases uh, as of late. Uh, academic freedom cases uh, are, are an important aspect of, of what the court uh, could, could look at and has already ruled on. One of the most interesting recent cases is the power of administrative agencies. So especially on the right, there's a lot of criticism about state agencies becoming way too powerful and making a lot of decisions without the consent of lawmakers, because lawmakers often will pass a law and then say, okay, state agencies, like you need to figure out how to 
how to make this law work, and the state agencies do that. And then previously, most courts would defer to how state agencies interpreted laws. Um, but the court in uh, a major case called Tetra Tech uh, versus Wisconsin Department of Revenue held that Wisconsin courts should no longer defer to administrative agencies' interpretations of law. Review was taken in this case to consider two issues. The first issue is whether the services here should be taxed as processing under Wisconsin Statute 77.52, sub 2A11. And that courts can review agencies' conclusions of the law under the same standard that uh, appellate courts can review how agencies are interpreting the law. Um, and so that's important because it means that agent, state agencies have less power because of this uh, and less authority to, to make decisions on their own under this, uh, under this ruling. There's also been some interesting uh, lawsuits. One of them was against the concealed carry law. So the, the court ruled in favor of the people defending the state's concealed carry law. Um, and another law allows for, or another ruling, I should say, allows for police to search uh, when, when they're searching vehicles to also ask for a license as part of their normal protocol. So even if they stop you on suspicion of something, and um, and they no longer have any grounds for suspicion. They are still able to extend that traffic stop and ask for your license because it's considered part of of their um, normal protocol. So those are some of the the highlights that um, that this report, this state bar report, uh, came up with. So um, yeah, the Supreme Court is often underestimated in, in its ability to, to set to set law. Um, and a lot of people look at the U.S. Supreme Court, and rightfully so, it, it, it offers huge decisions, but the state Supreme Court has, has a big effect on, on a lot of people's lives here, so it's important. We have others may come to the courtroom. Um, we are adjourned. Thanks for listening to Front Page, a podcast that takes a look at some of the Wisconsin State Journal's most interesting recent stories. You can find this podcast on our website at www.madison.com slash WSJ, iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify.